Father, we pray that you would speak to us now, that we would hear your voice, that we would not harden our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I went on a stag do to do some go-karting. It wasn't, you know, the stag do's these days with, you know, a weekend in Prague or something like that. It was just go-karting in Newry. But as you can imagine, whenever 15 guys get together, there's plenty of competition. Lots of chat about who's going to win. When the race has started... It turned out I was more like a Sunday afternoon driver uh, compared to some of the guys. Uh, but then some of them had even brought their own helmets and gear with them. They were that serious about it. But the thing that stood out that day uh, was the time before the racing started. Uh, we were uh, gathered in a wee room uh, and the owner gave us a short talk. First of all, he welcomed us, he told us to have fun, but then came the second part, the warnings. We watched a safety video, we had to sign the disclaimer that if we were injured it was our fault. Welcome and warning, side by side. That's what we find tonight in Psalm 95, in these very familiar words. There's a welcome, a call to worship, but also a warning. And actually, you can't have one without the other. So let's dive in, page 602, in case you've closed your Bible, to see how the welcome of worship and the warning of worship sit together. First of all, the welcome. I wonder if you've ever received a summons to serve on a jury. Anyone ever been summoned for jury duty? No, I am thankfully exempt from that because I'm a member of the clergy. Um, But the letter arrives in the post and you are normally obliged to turn up on the day, whether you want to or not. Is that how the opening words of verse 1 And verse 6 come across. It says, come. Is it like a jury summons? Is it something that you kind of have to do? Uh, That you have to come along to worship whether you want to or not? Now maybe, maybe some Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings, it might feel a bit of a struggle to get up and get out. And you can think of a million and one other places to be. But that's not the sense of the call to worship here in Psalm 95. It's more like like a wedding invitation, a, a joyful welcome to come along, to be part of things, to be part of something exciting, to be caught up in celebration. Come. And and what is it that we come to? Well, in Psalm 40, sorry, 95, we have what I think of as a row of lettuces. Now, you know by now that I'm not much of a gardener. The only thing that I can grow successfully is weeds. 
If I needed lettuce for salad sandwiches, I would have to go to the shop. Uh, But some of you I know are gardeners. Uh, You might even have a row of lettuces growing, if it's the time. You see, I don't even know if it's the right time of year for lettuce or not. Uh, But do you see the row of lettuces in Psalm 95? Look at verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. There's our row of lettuces. And there's another mini row in verse 6. Look at it with me. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Here's the welcome to worship as we come together to worship. In these words, it's not that we're speaking to God. Our eyes aren't on heaven as such. Rather, our eyes are all around us. We're urging and encouraging one another to sing, to make a joyful noise, to give thanks. It's like a sports team coming together on the pitch, cheering one another on, encouraging each other. And we're to be doing the same thing, encouraging those around us as we sing out, or being encouraged when we don't find it so easy. Why would we want to come together to worship? Why should we praise with loud singing? We're given the reason there in verses 3 to 5. Do you see the 4 at the start of verse 3? Here's the reason. Here's why. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. As we encourage one another to worship, we recognize who God is. He's the great God. He's the God of gods, if you like. In fact, he's the only God. When Psalm 95 was written, the nations all around Israel believed that there were lots of gods and goddesses. Each one localized, each one in charge of something in particular. There would be the God of a mountain, the the God of the sea, the God of a piece of land. Up on the north coast, Uh, There's an example of this uh, on uh, uh, the Bishop's Road high above McGilligan Point, if you know it. Uh, At Gortmore, there's a a statue of Manannan MacLear. He was believed to be the the Celtic god of the sea. And so if you were going on a a journey, uh, you would make a sacrifice to him beforehand uh, for a favourable journey. But Psalm 95 cuts through all of that. The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And here's why. Verse 4. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Our God rules over all, because he made everything, and he holds it. In his hands. Here's the reason why we encourage one another 
to sing and to make joyful noise. Perhaps you came tonight feeling as if you were carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. As we sing and praise and give thanks to our God, we're reminded that we don't need to carry the weight of the world ourselves because our God holds it in his hands. He's in control. He doesn't need a hand to hold it. He can do it all by himself. Then in verse 6, the pattern repeats again. Another welcome to worship as we speak to and encourage one another to worship, followed by the reason why. But notice that this time round, it's quieter. In fact, there's no noise at all in verse 6, unless you count maybe a, a, a creaky hip or a dodgy knee or a wee sigh as you bow down. He says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. You see, worship isn't just loud singing. Worship is also bowing and kneeling before the Lord, recognizing him as our God, submitting to him, surrendering to him. And why do we do this? Why would we surrender to him and and bow before him? Well, again, we have the reason why. The the four at the start of verse seven, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Even though God is great and glorious, reigning over all that he has made, even so he is not distant. He is not far away from us. He is our God, our shepherd king. He holds the world in his hand and we are the flock under his hand, under his care. And so he holds us as well. So we have the call, the welcome to worship and the reason why. But then suddenly at the end of verse 7, we have the warning. A warning that we still need to hear. You see, it's not enough just to worship. It's not enough to be noisy and loud and then to go merrily on our way. As we worship in singing and in bowing, we must also be listening, ready to hear and to obey. End of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The warning for the people of God still stands for us today as the writer to the Hebrews makes clear that even when we're worshipping we could still fall away if our hearts become hard if we refuse to listen and obey and in those verses we're presented with a case study from the history of God's people You see, Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. He had given them freedom from slavery, salvation through the Passover, escape through the Red Sea when they arrived 
in the wilderness. And it was here that disaster struck. The very same people who had trusted in the Passover suddenly refused to listen. Their hearts wanted to be back in Egypt, back in slavery. They feared for their lives because of a lack of water. They questioned whether God really was with them. These were the people who had sung the songs of salvation, who were on their way to the promised land, guided by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And yet they refused to listen. They refused to trust God anymore. They hardened their hearts, verse 8. Even though, verse 9, they had seen what God had done. Maybe you've seen this in a child. Their mom or dad tells them to do something and they say, no. And nothing will change their minds. Not bribes, not threats, nothing. If you're the parent, you only want what is best for them, but they just can't see it or they won't see it. Well, that's how it was with God's people. They hardened their hearts. They wouldn't listen to God anymore. And so, despite having seen evidence of God's goodness and saving power up close and personal, they turned away. They stop listening. They put their fingers in their ears. And we're told here that God loathed that generation, that he was angry with that generation, verse 10. They were barred from the land of promise, the promised rest of the land of Israel. And so for 40 years they would wander in the wilderness until the whole of the generation had died out, except for Joshua and Caleb. Now you might be thinking, well, that was a nice history lesson, but what has that got to do with us? That was thousands of years ago and far, far away. But Hebrews makes clear that the warning still stands, and all because of that word, today. Today. If we hear God's voice, we can enter into that promised rest, a rest from labor, a rest that comes from trusting God's promise. And how do we make sure that we'll receive the promise and enter that rest? It's what we've seen in Psalm 95 and is explained in Hebrews 3 verses 12 and 13. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another, encourage one another. The welcome of worship 
as we urge one another to worship our great God in loud singing and in humble submission. You see, it's so important that we are here for one another, not just for ourselves and what we get out of our time together tonight. It's why our prayer diary entry for today is to look for opportunities to encourage someone as we gather as a church family today. You see, if each of us are on the lookout to encourage everyone else, then all of us will encourage and be encouraged. So perhaps before you leave your pew tonight, you can pray for the people around you, in front or beside or behind. Perhaps you don't need to dash off straight after the closing prayer. Perhaps you could share a word of encouragement with someone on the way out. Psalm 95 is telling us that we need each other. That we can't do it on our own. It's why we're called into the church, into the family of God, at the people of his pasture. We welcome one another to worship singing to our great God and bowing before our shepherd king. And this applies every week, but even more so today. Today, if you hear his voice, if you are prompted to play your part, to step up or speak up or sing up or pray up, then don't harden your hearts. Don't resist what God is saying to you. Don't turn away. Enter his rest. Receive his grace. And submit to his word. As we seek to do it together. Let's pray. Father, we hear your voice as it speaks to us. As it says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Father, we pray that you would give us sensitive hearts to hear and receive and respond to what you are saying. And Lord, give us the courage to do, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.